Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Hello, welcome to the Ghosts of Harren Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 159 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. Today we'll be discussing chapter 15 of A Storm of Swords, that's John 2. As always, we're going to chat about the chapter, we're going to try not to spoil any future plot points for you, hopefully we'll provide you some entertainment along the way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to the television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes. They'll provide some additional information about the characters and geography of this chapter, which would be particularly helpful if you're not reading along. Indeed. How are you, McKelly? I'm doing just fine, getting ready for the storm. Oh yes, we're about to get hit by Hurricane Ian, right? Yes, yes, so... do you remember the episode where you couldn't remember what a tropical storm was? <laughs> I do remember that. I still laugh about that. I That's think it made it into one of the outtake episodes. So it was. If anyone's yeah, curious, yeah. try one of our outtake episodes and you might hear me really struggling with that word. <laughs> but it was good to see you at lunch yesterday. Oh yeah, just briefly, right? I was I was off to I was off to play soccer, sorry. Yeah, I you sat down, I was finishing telling uh, Joan about the bumper car. My my car is being treated like bumper cars oh, story. Yeah, yeah. And you were you sat next to me. I look over and you were gone. I was like, where yeah. where did he? And I never found you again. And guess you went to play soccer. So because of my vacation, my soccer team was bottom of the league. Oh. Two defeats from two games, but we won yesterday. Uh, of course. Now that you're back at the helm, the, the spiritual leader is back, and, <laughs> and all things are right with the world. So we've had a big conference at work this week, and we had some special guests, some sort of fairly famous people. You didn't see the 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 guy Oz Perlman, the mentalist guy. I did not. I saw Blossom. Oh, is that who she is? Can never the Malam Blalick or something like that. Mayam Blalick, something the, the new host of Jeopardy. Yes, don't look at me. Yes, <laughs> she was the host of the session that I was watching. Wait, this so this mentalist guy was he he. Let me let me summarize this for you, McKelly. I now believe in magic. <laughs> he was absolutely extraordinary. The tricks he was pulling, I it just blew my mind. I'll give you an example of one of the tricks he played. Right, he got a guy to get a deck of cards. Okay, yeah. He told the guy to go off camera. It's all done by you know sort of Zoom call kind of thing. The guy went off camera, and and the guy told him, "Put your favorite card in your pocket and come back with the rest of them." Okay. So he did, came back, and then he said, all right, flicker the cards in front of the camera so I can watch. And he flickered the cards, and he went, three of diamonds. And the guy pulled the three of diamonds out of his pocket. And and I'm just like, how "How did you do that? How? There's no way the flicker was any way, you know, there's no way you could see all 51 cards in the flicker. No, of course not. It wasn't possible. Right, right, right. It was, and that was just typical. I mean, he did like, 20 of these tricks, and they were all more gobsmacking than the last one. Wow. And I missed it, it too. Was, I, I actually brought Lucas in, and he was watching over my shoulder, and he was like, well, the, he must know the lady. It must be a 
you must know in advance. And I was like, I work with that lady. He doesn't know her. <laughs> I really, I mean, just, it's just amazing absolutely what amazing. They can do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really was. He's, I've, I've seen a YouTube video of it and, and he said that there's two facets to what he does. One is, um, he reads people. He reads people's tells. And the second one is the power of suggestion that he actually tells you what to do and you subconsciously do it. Wow, so like the, that's a the, powerful the, trick right there. The three of diamonds <laughs> trick was obviously he told the guy to put the three of diamonds in his pocket, but nobody heard him say that, but the guy did. You know? Wow. That would be very useful in life. You could... It would. If, if he becomes the next president, I'm going to be very concerned. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, so our car saga continues here. Uh-oh, I'm sorry. Well, no, I mean, so we bought Stacy a new car yesterday. Oh. Not, it was a used sorry. car, new to us. Well, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't buy a used car, I, a new car. If I I've met you, McKelly. <laughs> and it's nice and shiny and new, pretty new. Um, but you know what it means, which is, there, there's a, a dark shadow behind this, is that I... It's a larger SUV, too, as well. So, I I have no justification for keeping my van any longer. Oh, no. And we now have... Oh, no. Four cars and three drivers in the house, you know? I oh. So, we don't even have enough space in the garage and driveway to park four cars, so Molly has to park up on the road. So, oh, the reality, as we were... Going through the paperwork and stuff to buy this car, I was like, oh, the reality of what what comes next was painful. So I'm going to, of course, drag my feet as long as possible. <laughs> but I, I have to do it at some point. I know I have to. So, McKelly, would, would it help if I told you that minivans go and live on a farm <laughs> in <laughs> upstate? If I knew it would be well taken care of, I would feel a lot better. <laughs> this is a sigil of my house we're talking about. <laughs> I love my van, uh, old and beleaguered your, as she is. Your new sigil would just be a blank. <laughs> just nothing. <laughs> like the Night's Watch. You you had um, teased last episode that there were... Uh, wedding stories that you wanted to tell all of us. Is there any, anything you want to tell us, or you you got to wait still? I think I'm I'm still jet lagged, right? So I, I, I this is actually an interesting story about jet lag. So I used to travel a lot on business, and I told Carson, I adamantly told Carson, I said there is no such thing as jet lag. Jet lag is just a myth. Like if you fly from west to east, you fly you know across the Atlantic, you fly overnight utterly exhausting you power through the next day and then you go to sleep and your your clock has reset yeah okay. and when you come back it's just a very long day and you try and stay up as late as possible you go to bed you're tired you sleep 12 hours you're you're reset okay i i theoretically get your logic there yeah yeah carson disagreed with me and ever since we had that discussion i won't call it an argument because it was just a difference of opinion she thinks it exists and i don't think it exists right I have been cursed with jet lag. <laughs> you opened your mouth. You had to go and say something. I know. I, I, so before I went to Europe, I would wake up at like seven o'clock, get up kind of thing. Uh-huh. Now 
I wake up at five o'clock like I'm in a toothpaste commercial. <laughs> Bing! Good morning! It's absolutely incredible. And I mean, I can't, I can't, it's not even that I can't get back to sleep. I can't even put my head back down on the pillow to try. I'm just like, You're come up. on, face the day. Let's go. Are you the only one in the house facing this? I'm certainly the only one at five o'clock. Although I've heard Lucas pottering around in the small hours as well. So oh, he's wow. definitely okay. suffering as well. Okay. But the upshot of all that is I have not yet processed all the stories from. All right. There, all right. There's plenty. And I'll drib and drab them out over the years. But the, but the one, the big one, which I have now told you offline, that one's going to have to wait for some water to pass under the bridge because it's a doozy. <laughs> but <laughs> I can, I should... can attest. I, I've heard the story. It is a doozy. <laughs> Podcast ever get translated into French. <laughs> it could cause a diplomatic incident. So, uh, yeah, we got to. One day, one day. Okay. Uh, actually, I tell you what. I tell you what. I'll tell it to the uh, uh, the this sustainers one? next time we. Have oh it. yes, yes. Good idea. There you go. Yes, they can hear it. <laughs> it's a but, good one. You know what? It's that definitely that will com- that will convince Rob to become a sustainer, so he can hear and correct, <laughs> deny everything. <clears throat> uh, we need to get Rob as a sustainer. He'll be enter- very entertaining on that call. Yeah, we could we could invite him anyway because he'd be right. entertaining all by himself. But I, I I don't know if I said it. We had a wonderful time, and it was so great to see my family. And we just had. I'm a great, sure it great was. Time. And and Rob's new bride Sophie is just lovely, and her family were terrific, and it was just wonderful time. All good things. But anyway, let's get down to business. Yes, let's do. How do we leave Jon Snow? Well, last we saw of Johnny, he was t- taken to the main wildling camp after killing Corrin Harfan to prove that he deserted the Night's Watch. He was brought to the tent of Mance Raider, a king beyond the wall, and his court of wildling dignitaries. I think, actually, the, the, the air quote should have been around dignitaries there. <laughs> Either one. Probably both. <laughs> After initially mistaking Mans for another, he explained that he and four other Black Brothers were caught while searching for the Wildling Army. He was shocked to learn that Mans was at Winterfell when King Robert was there. When asked why he deserted the Night's Watch, John told of how Mans saw his treatment as a bastard of Winterfell, and not much had changed since. Accepting that answer, Mans wanted him to find a new cloak. Non-black visit Simon and McKelly's haberdashery. That's right. McKelly, mm-hmm. why don't we give them the summary of this one? 10% off sale for all wildlings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 5% off all treacherous men- uh, brothers of the night's work. Right. All right, so John sits on horseback alongside Tormund Giantsbane, watching the procession go by. Giants. Hundreds of them ride past him on the backs of woolly mammoths. They're not like the descriptions of huge men that old Nan described in her stories. These beings are more bear-like than human, 10 to 14 feet tall with shaggy pelts covering much of their bodies. John is reminded of the fable about Jormund blowing the horn of winter and waking the giants from the earth. When the oldest looking of the giants rides past, Tormund shares a joke with him in the old tongue. John asks Tormund if that's their king. Tormund says they have no king. But that is Magmartundoweg, or Mag the Mighty, if you prefer. With that, the pair head back toward the front of the column. 
John wears the new cloak Mance Raider gave him, but secretly keeps his black cloak of the Night's Watch hidden under his saddle. Keen to gather information as per Corn Halfhand's command, John asks Tormund how he got his many and varied titles. He starts with Tormund's surname, Giantsbane, but is really most interested in Hornblower, wondering if it was the Horn of Winter this host found in the Frostfangs. Tormund's answers are comical and absurd, but he never explains the Hornblower moniker. Tormund thinks the Night's Watch must have made John a eunuch, since he's since he always rejects Egrit's clear advances. John had been well aware of Egrit's desire. She has left Rattleshirt's band to join Tormund's to be nearer to John. She always puts her sleeping furs next to his, no matter where he goes. He's taken to using Ghost as a buffer between the two. John says he's never touched her, he's too young to wed, but that's not to say John hasn't thought about being with Egrit. Although not attractive in the traditional Seven Kingdoms sense, there's much about her he fancies. The reality is John can't bear the thought of fathering a bastard like himself. Tormund can't fathom why. They're no less smart, strong, or healthy than anyone else. John sees no wonder in why the Seven Kingdoms see wildlings as hardly human. They have no laws, honor, or simple decency. They steal from each other, breed like beasts, and prefer rape over marriage. All that said, he's growing fond of some, like Tormund, Longspear Rick, and Egret, despite his best efforts with Egret. There are other wildlings that he feels less warm and fuzzy about. Beyond Rattleshirt, Steer, and Harma Dogshead, there are bands and individuals John finds unsettling and bizarre. Despite John's integration into this huge host, he's had little luck fulfilling the mission that Corin Harfan tasked him with. He's hardly seen Mance except at a distance, and if they found anything noteworthy in the Frostfang, nobody's saying a word about it around him. But he's determined to keep this host north of the Wall. Bran, Rickon, and everyone he's ever known are safe in Winterfell, and he plans to keep it that way. The host nears the Fist of the First Men, and Jon expects his Night's Watch brothers to ride down on them any time now. Jon figures there's no way that 300 Night's Watch can defeat this huge host, but they won't need to. Take out Mance, and it all falls apart. Besides, most of the useful fighters are spread thinly throughout the host. At the conclusion of a rousing rendition of The Last of the Giants, led by Egret, an eagle attacks Jon's face. Egret and Tormund come to John's defence and Tormund calls for Rattleshirt to call the beast off. It's the eagle who's followed John everywhere. John killed its warg, Orel, when he took Ygritte hostage, but some of the man's consciousness seems to have transferred into the bird. Rattleshirt reports that he's here to bring John to Mance. John goes with him and Ygritte accompanies them. The trio make their way to the top of the Fist of the First Men. Along the way, John sees dead horses everywhere and inside the ring wall, the snow is pink with blood, yet no bodies aside from the horses. An irate Mance waits inside a tent, surrounded by his top lieutenants. He demands John tell him how many there were, and he better tell the truth this time. John struggles with juggling playing turncloak versus actually being one. Ultimately, he tells the truth, 300. Mance asks who led, taking several guesses all wrong. Again, John's tormented by how to respond, but he reveals that it was the old bear himself. The news is met with incredulity. Mance thinks if it is true, they've won the war. But when Marsh is in charge of Castle Black and he's no warrior, 
Mance also reveals that the Night's Watch might have helped his host more than they could have realised. Mance had been wondering why they had suffered no attacks from Whites. Now it makes sense. The Night's Watch's presence was a welcome distraction for the undead army. Now what to do with John? John insists he's loyal to Mance. He wears the cloak Mance gave him. Egret adds that there's many a night the two of them dance beneath it, too. This lifts all eyebrows in attendance. John has no choice but to play along. Mance decides it's time John proves his faith. He's sending John and Egret over the wall with Steer and Jarl. If John proves himself false, cut out his heart. With that, Manson Co. leave. The emergence of ghosts sends an angry rattleshirt packing. Alone, John tells Egret she didn't need to lie for him. She said she didn't. She just left out the when of their romance. That begins tonight. He'll need to find another place for ghosts to sleep. I will say, McKelly, because I've sort of I've been so out of it, you've done most of the work for this one, and you've done a very good job. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank um, you. But it's a long chapter with very little happening. It is. There's a yes. lot of description <laughs> of this wildling host. And it's it's interesting, but it's 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 hard to there's not a lot of narrative impulse to the whole thing. Yes. For the length of the chapter, it is surprisingly shallow on kind of driving the plot. Basically, the primary things we get out of it is they have a decent amount of giants. Tormund Giants Bane is usually full of crap. Yep. But but his crap is entertaining. It is. <laughs> As we see when I get to Penantry, I, I have one more bit to call out, call him out on. But, uh, yeah, and that the... The great ranging that was on the fist of the first men is no longer there, and there's a lot of signs that a good many of them have not survived it. Yeah, and the whole plan to sort of harry and attack the uh, this wildling army from the sides that's gone with it, of course. But I think you you made a point um, to me that with hundreds of giants riding on mammoths, that's how they should have flanked this army. Yeah, you put those down the sides. No one's getting in. You know. So John, uh, John's the the chapter opens with John counting the giants who were on the backs of woolly mammoths, might I add, and he stops at fifty because he gets distracted by Tormund. But he said they just keep coming. So you have to imagine there might be as many as three hundred giants, hundred plus. You know, his thing about the. Uh, the Night's Watch, the Great Ranging, riding down on them as 300. He's like, yeah, they'll slice through this host like, uh, you know, a hot knife through butter. But they have the same amount of mounted giants as, so, you know. There's, there's, there's a, for every one of those, there's a giant riding a mammoth with a club in his hand, which is like eight feet long. And that's, that person, you know, in a one-to-one battle, has to take on Dolorous Ed. <laughs> Sam Tarly. Tarly. <laughs> Chet. <laughs> yeah, Chet. <laughs> Whose dogs are dragging him in the opposite direction, presumably. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think this army could have been safe. Maybe Mance knew that they'd already been dispatched, you know, and just didn't see the need to protect them. Yeah, and, you know, I can forgive John... From his last chapter, looking at the 
uh, host as he just comes into the camp and then meets with Mance because he hadn't seen the giants. But he counts the giants, sees how many there are, and then still later in this chapter thinks, you know, they're the Night's Watch rangers are going to ride right through these guys. And right. he does admit they're not going to be able to take out the whole host. They're yeah. outnumbered, you know, 100 yeah. to 1 or whatever number he gives. But uh, he does know that they have, at that point, he does know that they have a significant amount of mounted giants. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. So, in your mind, McKelly, how how many people are in this host? I I was thinking 30-ish to... 30,000? Yeah, yeah, 30,000, something like that. Do you... Do you wonder how fast this host can move? Have you ever watched the beginning of a like a of a big marathon like oh, yes, Boston right. or London? <laughs> they all it looks like one blob moving for a while. But, but except it doesn't because the first row gets going. Right. And the last row has to wait an hour before it even gets going. I mean that's that's why your time is not the time from the start, it's from when you get across the start line. So imagine this host is is that kind of crowd, but carrying all their stuff. Right, and the the front of the host has to stop early enough in the evening that the back of the host comes to a halt before sunset. Yeah, right, right, right. They're right. going to be doing like two miles a day. It's going to be pathetic. Yeah, he mentioned that most of the host had oh, I forget what the term he used was like dripped out of the frost fags by now. It wasn't the word right. dripped, but um, it it was it was like. The word made me think of like maple syrup right. or honey <laughs> or something that moves really slowly. I can't remember exactly what his term was, but yes. And I think it took them hours to ride to the front of the host from back where they were with the giants at the yeah, beginning see, of the chapter. I think it might be even bigger. I think it might be 50,000 is how I yeah, could feel be. about it. Yeah, could be. So John watches the procession of giants and then he, and he wonders if the legend of Joraman's horn really did wake them up. Do you know anything about this, McKelly? So, I mean, just to, just like the bits of pieces of information that we've picked up at this point. Remember back when Osha was talking to Bran in the Godswood and she mentioned that her, that Hodor had some giant's blood yep. in him and that yep. her brother had killed a small giant? That didn't seem like that had happened like yesterday. No. You know, like, so it doesn't seem like if they were up in the Frostfangs looking for this horn of winter, that they found it. Blew it, and all the giants just woke up. Is Joraman's horn the same horn that we think they were looking for? Is this one of the same? It's possible. I mean, it's it's the horn of winter that woke the giants. Is really what we know Uh, at this point. Okay, so so we we believe these to be. There aren't two horns really being banded around here. It's it's one horn. That would be my assessment of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
I I saw this as historical legend, you know, that the legend was right. that the horn woke the giants. They've been milling around ever since. But of course, it may be it may now call the giants, of course, you know, so maybe they did find it, sure. blew it, and the giants came. And we have had a horn be found. Uh, Ghost took John to that buried cache of obsidian and um and there was an old war horn in that cache as well he gave it to sam possible it could be the horn in question it seemed like an old battered worn out horn to john so uh you know if it was hidden it certainly wasn't used to wake these giants unless they whoever it was blew it and then ran and hid it somewhere but i mean it could that could be a totally separate right. horn than the horn they're looking for. Yeah. He didn't, at least John didn't think anything looked special yeah, about yeah. it. So, so the reason that this is sort of like maybe topical is because Tormund has the title Hornblower. And John wants right. to try and get to the bottom of that to see if it is something that has, is that a name he's been carrying around for years? Or is that a name he's been carrying around for a week and a half? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. So... <laughs> If if it is recent, then it is, might be something they found in the Frostfangs. But then, when he blew it, what happened? Did anything happen? Yeah. And of course, seeing all those giants riding on woolly mammoths would cause you to believe in a lot of things being possible. Seeing that three of diamonds coming out of that guy's pocket made me believe in things. <laughs> I believe in giants and mammoths. Now you're looking, you're looking for the Horn of Winter. <laughs> but Corn did say he thought they were in the Frostfangs, they being the wildlings, were in the Frostfangs to find something special to break the wall. So it's possible this horn could also do something right, like that. Right. So despite John's efforts, we don't really get any explanation of why Tormund is called the Hornblower, but we do get it to the root of Giant's Bane and the Husband to Bear's title. So Giant's Bane was, in the cold winter, his horse died, and he had to... He found a sleeping giantess, cut her belly open, and climbed inside her a la Han Solo. <laughs> I think that was Luke. Oh, it was, it, 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 right, it was, it was Luke and Han found him there. That's right, yeah, 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 that's right. Yes, right. Um, he crawled in for warmth, but, but in the, it didn't kill the giant. See, so the name is wrong, because it wasn't, uh, he wasn't the bane of this giant. She actually found the small person inside her belly and assumed it was her child and suckled him for three months thereafter. <laughs> well, what could... What do you, what gripe do you have about that story? <laughs> I mean, you could pull a three of diamonds out of a <laughs> deck of cards, you could hide in a giant's belly till spring. Now, of course, we know <laughs> here spring might be, you know, the only three months off or so. But he could have been in there right. for years. <laughs> it could have been. He, he he also said that even to this day he misses the taste of giant's milk. <laughs> so there's just elements of it that just ring true to me. I, I, I'm 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 gonna go. I'm gonna say it's true. He's gonna say you're gonna go uh, true yeah. on that one. And and then his husband's to bear title came about on an even colder winter night. This was a different winter, colder than the previous winter, uh, where. He was sitting in his hall, ruddy hall, drinking, and uh, thinking about this woman that lived nearby and ultimately decided he was going to go track her down. He coerced this woman out of her heavy furs that she was wearing uh, and into sex. And then the next morning, found a, a bear pelt 
on the floor of his room. And uh, then other people were talking about a, a bear running around with the oddest cubs, <laughs> oddest looking cubs. And he really misses that uh, bear. Yes, he said he missed her terribly, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, he's quite... So that's, that's Tormund. He's quite the storyteller, Tormund. Yes, he is. So John, particularly after Tormund sort of encourages him to sleep with Ygritte, he, he, and, and, and particularly about the discussion about John not wanting to sire a bastard, he thinks that the Southerners barely think of wildlings as human. They have no laws, no honour, no decency. They steal from each other. They breed like beasts. They prefer rape to marriage. Um, all of that, to me, is... If I were him, I would be having a sort of second thought of it is weird how we in the South are hamstrung by these conventions, you know, because most yeah, of these right. things aren't really. I mean, all right, the, the, the rape, preferring rape to marriage. Yes, I think we can all sort of cross that one out as that's not good. But the rest of it is just social convention that's different north of the wall than south of the wall. And in actual right. fact, he might want to open his mind a little bit. It would be a much better society if, particularly for Jon Snow, if bastards were treated as equals. Sure, yeah. Weren't treated as outsiders. And that's what goes on north of the wall. Right. He'd be second in line to uh, the either the Lord of Winterfell or the King of the right. North, depending on... Uh, he might not have ended up here right. in the Night's yeah. Watch. It, you know, so this egret thing... It's another one of the spy duties that he's really struggling with, breaking his Night's Watch vow to be with Egret, which he does, he's really torn about Egret. On one hand, he does quite fancy her, he, he, but on the other hand, he doesn't want to, he, he's afraid of becoming too far separated from what makes him a brother of the Night's Watch. You know, but again, another Star Wars reference, in the Star, in the Star Wars version of this, um, little ghostly Obi-Wan Kenobi Corin Halfhand would be right, slapping yeah. his forehead like, just do it, idiot. <laughs> I told you, don't bark at anything. Right. Whatever it takes. And That would be a cool it, character. Yeah. <laughs> the ghost Corin Halfhand. Would he get his other hand, other half of his hand yeah. back, though? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's right. Anakin's Anakin was rebuilt, wasn't he? When he came back as a yeah, ghost. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. Corin full hand. Corin both hands. <laughs> but I think it obviously it goes deeper than just him struggling with breaking this Night's Watch vow because of his hatred of the idea of fathering a bastard. And remember way, way back in... John one of a Game of Thrones. He stormed out of the feast, the royal feast with uh, Robert and his family, because his uncle Benjamin suggested that he father a few bastards of his own before joining the Night's Watch. So, you know. But like you said, Tormund's take on bastards uh, must have been a unique perspective for John and... You know, that Tormund says they're not any weaker, they're not more sickly, they're not more likely to, to fail. And, you know, like, like you said, if if he could wrap his mind around this concept, it might help him feel a lot better about yeah. himself as a and, person. And also, he's very practical about it. It's like, Ygritte will only have a baby if she wants to. She knows, you know, she, you know she's not expecting him to marry him, marry her, and if she gets pregnant, she can choose what to do, and 
there was clearly no judgment or you know uh or societal pressure for her to do whatever you know to do anything but what she wanted yeah i'm glad you brought that up yeah he said if she doesn't want a baby she'll go to a woods witch and drink some moon tea it's real i think he said once your job is done you no longer have any input. Right. Yeah, he literally says that, yes. yes. But it reminded me a little bit, this whole thing, because he says, I'm too young to get... He's trying to think of a reason to give Tormund that he will believe. And so he says, I'm too young to get married. And uh, it, it kind of, this whole thing kind of reminded me a little bit of Rob, last chapter, marrying Jane Westerling after one night together, believing it was the most, it was the only honorable thing to do. It's... It could be a Winterfell, especially a Winterfell thing that, you know, this is really hammered into them that yeah, you don't do that Plus kind of thing. Plus it just goes to the immaturity of both Rob and John that they just don't really know how to behave in this situation, you know. And 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 what the way they behave is basically the rigid honour of Ned Stark. That's the sort of the the, the one yep. that their compass says that. But here right. they just have to be more practical, you know, both of them. So Tormund concludes, I mean, Tormund really can't understand John here because there's, there's a woman who's attractive, who's attracted to John and is throwing herself at him and John keeps refusing. And John is a lapsed crow, not a current one. So John, he, I think he genuinely asks, do they make you a eunuch when you take your vows? Because what... Other reason could there be for saying no? He's absolutely flabbergasted by it. And and none of John's excuses make any sense to him. You know, sort of like the too young to get married. She's not asking you to get married. I don't want to sire a bastard. It wouldn't be yours anyway, you know. Yes, right. Yeah, but it's been really... And it's not like it's unclear whether Egret is interested in John. She's she's doing everything in her power to, to show him she's interested yes. in him. She she spoons this. with him every night. It, it it reminds me of the of the scene in the Man with Two Braids when he asks his dead wife for a sign, any sign, and the shrine spins and the wind howls and a voice says no no no, but he wants to do it anyway. Anything. Any sign. <laughs> <laughs> but we had we had conjectured last John chapter that based on. The fact that John got an initial meeting with the top brass of this here host, that John might immediately be given a place of importance in the army, but turns out doesn't seem to be the case. He he seems to be stuck pretty much hanging out with middle management. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he he's not able to do... Uh, he's watching like Corrin wanted him to do, but... He's not watching much. There's not much to watch at his where with the people he's associating with. Uh, yeah, uh, it also goes. I mean, again, this goes to the fundamental lack of point of all this. I mean, you know that they would like to get. Well, I, I mean, we don't know what they want really, but they're just individuals. They're not going to be able to bring down the wall unless they've got this magical device to bring down the wall. And that's maybe why he's being kept from the top table, because they have found it. And the last thing they want is for him to find out. That being said, it right. is a bit of a mystery how you would gather 50,000 people together to help find a magical device. Find the magical device and then keep it from those 50,000 people so none of them know. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, you've got this large, diverse group of 
tens of thousands of people, yet nobody is talking about the if they what they found. But maybe, maybe most of the people were up there with no clue why they were up right, there. But, maybe they just thought it was the right, meeting but, place. But that doesn't feel like a very wildling thing to do. I mean, even to the wildlings, that must have seemed cold and inhospitable. Wait, wait. Winter's <laughs> yes. coming, and you want to climb up into the frost fangs to have a gathering? Could we not do it down here? That is a good point. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like if they had found something chances are people would be talking maybe maybe they're not talking about it around him you know maybe they're that disciplined they don't seem like they would be disciplined enough to not say something around him but he he yeah maybe they are he he has been wearing this new cloak that he's gotten from mance but he's kept his black cloak hidden under his saddle and i just wondered is that a wise choice I, I got to think that in the winter north of the wall, you keep every blanket you can. You keep every cloak. You don't throw them away just because they're black, you know. It's now... Well, that's a good point. Mance still wears his black cloak. It just has the red right, slashes right, right. of silk I, I wonder if he through. might be politic giving it to someone else, though. You know, like giving it to uh, Igrit or something. So that it's not in, it's not found hidden in his possession, because that would look bad. Right, that's the thing. You could argue it means nothing, just an extra blanket. But it also, especially if anyone has lingering doubts, which we learn later in the chapter, that there's plenty of lingering doubts. You know, you hanging on to your black cloak underneath your saddle, it's not a great look. And on the subject of lingering doubts, the one thing you want to do to dispel lingering doubts is to not be shifty and pathetically lying about the merest things. He's certainly not a seasoned no, spy. No, indeed. Just just the number of nights watch at the Fist of the First Men. Right. Which, of course, which of course, he already baked this lie in. In, in the last chapter, he baked this lie in because he said there were just five of them. Right. We just came arranging into the Frost Fangs for the heck of it. No, no, nobody, nobody. <laughs> down down there where, those see those, where you see those fires burning? No, nobody. <laughs> we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. <laughs> Just a picnic lunch is all. We brought a picnic lunch into the frost bags. <laughs> he really has, you know, was struggling over uh, breaking his vow with the egret, struggling over answering how many people were at the Fist of the First Men. Once it was obvious they were standing amongst where clearly there had been a large amount of people. And who led, you can understand a little bit the who led uh, this ranging because it reveals that Castle Black is basically leaderless, which, but at this point... I had visions of John sort of like when, when asked directly how many were on the Fist of the First Men... Well, how many do you think were on the- <laughs> <laughs> What number are you thinking? <laughs> you know, he so uh, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but it's making me think of this. Mance guesses several people, one of which is Jeremy Riker, having led. He could have gone with Jeremy Riker because Jeremy died uh, by the hand of the white 
at Castle Black. So he really couldn't have been proven wrong unless they caught up to him. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. So he could have been like, yes, Riker. That's who it is. Jeremy Riker. (laughs) Um, I have a big um, performance meeting with my boss tomorrow. Um, He's given me a sort of set of questions in advance of it. And one of them is, how do you think you're doing this year? And and I've got notes that says, how do you think I'm doing this year? <laughs> you start. <laughs> I don't want to say A plus until I've heard what you think. <laughs> but I think we both know we'll that. Say it at the same time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Count of three. <laughs> I thought it was three and then say it. <laughs> but so John he he um he's met some more nefarious wildlings. That personify, you know, we've talked about why, why are the Night's Watch trying so hard to keep these wildlings north of the wall? You know, they're humans. Let them in. Well, he he meets a few that he thinks, oh, I don't want these guys (laughs) anywhere near Winterfell. (laughs) So so John's going to set himself up as like a customs guard on the on the gate to (laughs) Castle. You in the walrus bone chariot. No, 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 no. Right, yes. Uh, you you there, Ice River Clan, who eats human flesh. <laughs> You're out. <laughs> Sorry, you've been rejected. You murder a dog every two weeks. Can you make it every two months? <laughs> <laughs> can, we, can, we, can you work with me here a little bit? Yeah, he, he mentions the Ice River Clan. Uh, they're basically cannibals he mentions uh the cave dwellers i mean they they paint their faces blue purple and green i mean i think you could live with that yeah and uh hornfoot men are basically people that don't wear shoes they run around with feet as tough as leather i mean that's all right if you could run around with Bare feet north of the wall, you'll be. F- you'll think you're walking on plush carpet when you get quite, south of the wall. Quite in, in that shallow snow, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, so he mentions several of the individuals, like you just mentioned, Harma Dog's Head, who he doesn't want particularly anywhere uh, south of the wall. He he wants wants to set her up with Chet. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting pairing. Uh, he mentions all the people we've already heard, Steer, Magnar of Then. Uh, but uh, one new character that we get is Veramir Sixkins. And Veramir comes with an entourage of pretty badass animals. He rides his steed. And, and he mentions that Veramir is a small mouse of a man. Yet he rides a 13-foot snow bear. Honestly, if you're going to climb on the back of a... 13-foot polar bear. It's probably better to be small. Because <laughs> you don't want him to notice, would be my guess. <laughs> long as he doesn't notice, you're safe. He doesn't actually ever go anywhere except where the polar bear wants to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> uh, but he also, he has to trump John. John has his wolf. Veramir has three wolves and a shadow cat. So, you know, I'm not big on pets, but that is a pretty good entourage of animals there. I gotta hand it to. Yeah, if you're gonna roll with some animals, you can't really go wrong there, can you? Unless you got a dragon. But certainly, it sounds like he is a warg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would, you would think. 
At least with that snow bear. <laughs> One would hope. Oh. Better be warring in that thing. <laughs> Um, so we do get an idea a little bit about how Mance has brought this uh, army together. You know, there's different clans, different languages, different customs. And basically, the word is that he he sweet-talked some, he, he won some over with his singing, and some of them, he had to fight them into submission. So, you know, it's been yeah. quite the, um, the process of building this, uh, uh, for once, unified wildling army. Yeah, and you'd have to imagine, hearing all that, that Mance is quite the person. Yeah. He's he's clearly very well-rounded, very skilled at a lot of important things. I know Corrin had a lot of respect yeah. for him when he was talking to John about yeah. him. He said he was the best of us, referring to when he was a brother of the Night's Watch. I mean, all of this makes John sort of like redouble his, his commitment to protect South of the Wall, because everything that he cares and loves... Is at Winterfell, you know, he lists out Bran and Rickon, but also Maester Lewin, Old Nan, Farland, Mickon. Of course, he doesn't know that a lot of this has gone south already, but, you know, it's understandable why right. he would want the, to protect these. The, the, the question he's got to ask himself is, uh, you see, for me, that should be his sort of like his, his fixed point here. He wants to protect those people. What's the best way to protect those people? It's sleeping with your grit. Do it. You know, if if that protects those people, do it. Yes. Yep. And Corin told him, whatever you got to do, don't, you don't don't worry about your vows right now. You got to do what you've got to do. So, I mean, you, you can you can try to not enjoy it if you want, John. You know. <laughs> so when they reach the Fist of the First Men, John expects them to be attacked. You know, he assumes that Thorin Smallwood, Jarman Bookwell, etc. would be doing exactly what we've talked about, harrying this huge uh, wildling army from the sides uh, because they got enough intel to make a plan. But nothing happens. And he's right uh, to some extent. Uh, Thorin Smallwood did report back. He did tell Mormont what this host was and where it was and how slowly it was moving. Um, He's... It's not exactly right about Jarman Buckwell and company. They were sent to scout the giant stair. We haven't heard right. from them. Hopefully, for their sake, they didn't return during the white attack. If if they were, hopefully they, they stayed far enough away to uh, avoid any issues there. Well, the the three horn blasts came before the one horn blast, so... So he he also thinks, and this this is an area I want to discuss actually. That the three hundred men can't kill a hundred times that many. So you know that's your thirty thousand there. But there's no need if they could take out Mans, the rest falls apart. I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure that's one hundred percent true because I think Mans Mans was necessary in bringing this together, but he isn't necessarily he isn't definitely a necessity in keeping it together because he's convinced these people. He's convinced them of something. And now they don't need sure. convincing anymore. Now, so so I actually think they might be wrong. I think John might be wrong to be thinking of assassination because I just don't think it will help. Sure. I think it's, a, it's first of all, it's absolute suicide, and second of all, I think this army is now hell bent on what it's hell bent on, whatever that might be. Yeah, right. Yeah, and you would think in the midst of battle, if. Mance were to fall, the rest of the army wouldn't be like, oh, now we're all going to fight each right. other. They're you know, not. they've got a common enemy in the in the rangers of the Night's Watch. They're going to stay the fight. 
say stay and see the fight through. They might. It's possible they could break apart. It could start squabbling before they figure out. Maybe they get to the wall and they can't agree on how to get around over or under the wall, and they end up, you know, breaking apart. But for the for the purpose of the three hundred men that will be riding into this battle, I don't. I agree with you. I don't know that killing Mance just stops everybody in their tracks. Um. So at this point, the eagle attacks John entirely unprovoked. Oh, but um. It's not entirely unprovoked, of course, because this eagle was the warg partner of Oral, who John killed when he captured Ygritte. And so this eagle has had right. its beady eye on John ever since and takes the opportunity to scratch his face. And he almost takes his eye out, yeah? Yeah, right. Yeah, this is... I We may have slightly spoiled this, but it has been hinted pretty heavily that this eagle was the warg partner to the man that John killed uh, when, you know, when he took Egret hostage, like you said. And it also explains why this eagle was flying around, following them so relentlessly when they were trying to escape this uh, wildling group that was chasing them. Be- you know, because it was, it has some of the man's spirit in it so that, you know, it... it it could stay focused on the task at hand, trying to get revenge on John. But I don't know if you, even if you need oral spirit. I mean, I think the eagle might just want revenge, you know. Just as an eagle wanting revenge for the death of his war partner. Right. right. Yes. Not that oral is in any way pulling the strings anymore. Just the eagle is like, okay. I yeah. miss my buddy. I'm going to get the guy who killed him. I think John and Egret both think that there is some of oral's spirit still inside of it but you're right yeah it could just be an angry bird (laughs) (laughs) i see what you did that's very good uh but tormund tormund and egret go to bat for john they defend him from the eagle um and then tormund threatens rattleshirt who's uh, come on the scene as if rattleshirt and the eagle were in cahoots in fact i thought that same thing yeah because the eagle went and flew back onto uh, rattleshirt's helmet his uh giant skull helmet yeah rattleshirt is there to take john back to mance but in the meantime he sent the eagle on ahead to tear his face apart (laughs) (laughs) but tormund tells tells rattleshirt that next time he comes he better come with a sword in his hand because that's where he'll find tormund's which is pretty that's pretty good you know They've really, Tormund and Egret especially, and it seems like Longspear Rick, he doesn't get, you know, but a mention. I think he gets one mention in this chapter. He also went from Rattleshirt's group to Tormund's group with John and Egret. Uh, But they've really embraced John, and that says something about a person that they, I mean, you, you, I guess you can understand why Egret did. One, he saved her life, but... By not killing her as he was commanded to do. Uh, and she fancies him a good bit. But Tormund, he's very open-minded. Totally accepting this guy, so it seems. But is it what it, is what it actually tells you about these people is that they're gullible and unable to judge obviously crooked... Uh... Okay. That's, well, that's another yeah, way I'm to just, look I'm at just it. Saying, I mean, <laughs> John is playing them and they're not picking up on it even though he's very bad at it. <laughs> I see what you're saying. You make you make some good points there, yeah. But you'd have to think at some point he might feel 
pretty awful if he shows them, you know, what, if he reveals to them that he's been playing them false this oh, whole time. Oh, good point. Uh, John uh, soldiers on with the blood dripping down his face and is accompanied by a grit. And they, he goes up to the Fist of the First Men where they find that the whole slope and the base is littered with parts of horses, which is not right. very pleasant. And the whole top is soaked with blood. Uh, but there are no human bodies. There's only horse remains. So what does that tell us? And you know what? I think that we might have some more of these blue-eyed freaks chasing us later. Does seem possible, doesn't it? <laughs> Seems like uh, many of the uh, night the, this great ranging has joined the the ranks of the whites. Was was everybody in the great ranging uh, mounted? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so I think they counted like maybe two hundred horses here. So, it's possible that a hundred or so got away. Is that right? Yeah. So, it's a little bit confusing, and it caused me to wonder. It caused me to wonder something of that I'll get to in a second. But so, Mance says, "Harma, how many horses have we found?" And Harma says, "More than a hundred, less than two. But there are more horses to the east that are." You know, covered in snow, we're not sure how many right. there are. So it could be another hundred. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, so it could be all of them, or some of them might have escaped. That's the basic thing. Right. We're not sure. Yeah. Yes. But boy, would this be a devastating loss for the Night's Watch, which is the risk when you take 300 of your best fighters and put them in harm's way north of that 700 foot wall that spans the continent. <laughs> So, just saying. <laughs> but, you mean you, uh, they perhaps forsook their strategic advantage here? Right, yes. That, that might, that's pretty much what I'm saying. But John sees the ravens in the ring wall, and he wonders if they're just random ravens or if they're the Night's Watch ravens. And, of course, that makes him think of Sam. And, of course, that makes us think of Sam. And... This whole thing doesn't bode very well for Sam because he's not the most skilled warrior or rider. So, and then one other thing about that, if Sam would indeed have died here on the Fist of the First Men, could that horn be up here as well? Because John gave Sam the horn. If he died and then became a white, he probably didn't pick up his bag, his belongings and take it with him, you know? So uh, it could be around here somewhere. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying it is the horn of winter. I'm just saying it's the only other horn right. we've seen in, so far. Yeah, so Mance wants to know the truth now about how many Night's Watch there were. Um, tried to speak true this time, Bastard of Winterfell. Uh, as we said, he only, he mentioned that there were only five of them earlier, but now he reluctantly admits that there were 300 and they were led by Mormont and that Bowen Marsh commands at Castle Black. All of these people are known to Mance, so now he knows that Castle Black is now led by somewhat by by an accountant basically who uh, right. and becomes much easier target for Mance's army than it would have otherwise been. Yeah, Bowen Marsh so Bowen Marsh is the Lord Steward of Castle Black and his nickname from Ed uh, Dollars Ed is Old Pomegranate. He also he also guesses like I said Jeremy Riker, Thorn Smallwood and Otten Withers having led this group and uh, I had already mentioned Jeremy Riker died from the white attack when they brought those two whites in to Castle Black. Um, Thorin Smallwood did want to lead this. Remember, he asked Mormont, could I lead it? And Mormont said, get out of here. I'm leading this myself. 
and Otten Withers. I believe Otten Withers uh, leads the baggage, is in charge of the baggage right. train. Yes. Oh, so he is out here. So that's who all those people are that he's referring to. Yep. So Mance thinks that the Night's Watch have unwittingly helped the Wildling army because they've actually diverted the army of the undead. The army of the undead that might have attacked the Wildlings has now attacked the Night's Watch instead. Uh, he seems pretty blasé about this, as if it's a common everyday occurrence north of the wall that... He does, <laughs> right. An army of white walkers comes to turn you all into whites. <laughs> and, you know, it made me think about the protection that John feels was lacking of, of this, you know, the, the lack of protection in this host when he thinks they, they're not putting, they haven't put up any proper defenses. And I wondered if, you know, after reading that part, because like you said, he was expecting, he was thinking, why haven't we been attacked by the whites? We should have been at least had some run-ins with them. So maybe white Walker protection is different than traditional your traditional defense style, and John just didn't recognize it when assessing the host. You know, maybe it's more about having a lot of torches right, on hand. Right, 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 right. As opposed to having, you know, mounted uh, swords and arrows. Instead, it's about how many how many torches can you get your hands Good on? Point. Things like that that John wouldn't have picked up on. Yeah. So <sighs> all of this still leads lingering questions about John's defection. Um, he has clearly lied several times to them. Uh, Ygritte basically bails him out by saying that they're having sex, and if they're having sex, then he clearly has lapsed as a brother of the Night's Watch. Uh, <laughs> that's good of her. It's good yeah. of her because he was in trouble at that moment, and that really did sort of reassure everyone a little bit. Right, it was quick thinking. But, you know, I was thinking after the discussion with Tormund about how casually wildlings take having bastards and taking moon tea for unwanted pregnancies i was a little bit surprised at how well this revelation false though it was worked yeah the thing is it wouldn't have worked for a wildling it works because he's a brother of the night's watch they they feel like that's yeah, the sure it's one more tether yeah. removed yeah. but um you know we also and mance would know that the only thing more frequented than the brothel in Moletown is our haberdashery. <laughs> I, I I don't think that's true. So, I mean, remember, we only sell to deserters. There aren't that many of them. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the wrong business is what you're telling us. We're like the vacuum cleaner salesman in Breaking Bad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's it's my point is it's not that uncommon for Brothers of the Night's Watch to break that particular true, vow. True, true, true. So, Mance isn't completely convinced, so he, he sends John and Egret with Steer and Jarl to go over the wall to prove their faith is more than just words. Uh, Mance's demeanor towards John has definitely changed. He's definitely hostile, curt, and cold. I'm not sure that that's the job that I would have given John. If I was not trusting right. We're going to send you send home. Send you home, exactly. <laughs> you want to know how we're going to punish you? We're going to test you by sending you home. <laughs> but, I mean, his his knowledge of the wall could be helpful, so it's not completely crazy, but... Right. Yeah. And if... So, Steer is the... He was the earless one that John confused for Mance when he first came into the tent. He's the Magnar of Then. And Jarl or Jarl, I'm not sure. He was introduced. He was also in that tent. He was introduced as Val's pet. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Val being the sister of Dala, who is Mansa's pregnant uh, queen, for lack of a better term there. So Mance believes that Mormont's escaped and is heading for the wall. Uh, I mean, it's just a guess, really. I mean, they they could have all been killed. But but again, just a horse head count, it does feel like some might have escaped. So I guess maybe Mance is just, worst case scenario, Mormont survived. Because uh, Egret sure thought he was dead when she... When when John was struggling about what what to answer, who led this host, she said, "Just tell him he's dead anyway." So she, you know she thought he was yeah. dead. And Mance Mance literally says, "If we can reach the wall before him, we've won. We've always worried about this, and it's come to pass. If you send the lion's share of your fighters north of the wall and you lose, then the wall is very much unprotected, and uh, it should right. not be too hard for these guys." magical or not to broach the wall one way or the other yeah if they have no one impeding them they can eventually get across the wall that's the point of the night's watch is to man the wall not man north of the wall ghost does show up here at the end and john wanted ghost after the eagle mauling he was tracking down his horse but he thought what i really want is ghost and then he thought ghost could be leagues away which might explain why he showed up when he did, because possibly Ghost felt the danger that John was in and began his return to defend or help John and got here just yeah, now. Good point. So good point. And you know what what he gets for his efforts uh, of coming back to help John is he gets to sleep alone in the cold because Egret says, Tell Ghost to find somewhere else to sleep tonight. <laughs> Do you have some background for us? I do. We know that uh, giants and children of the forest were the first inhabitants of Westeros. They coexisted fairly peacefully until the arrival of the first men across the arm of Dorne that once connected Westeros to Essos. Once upon a time, giants lived across Westeros from at least as far south as Massey's Hook and the Red Mountains north of Dorne. Some maesters believe that giants once lived in caves beneath Casterly Rock, in fact. According to legend, they were hunted and driven out of much of Westeros by first men. However, would it surprise you to learn that Westeros isn't the only place it's believed giants once lived? Go on! There's evidence that giants also call parts of Essos home. Bones of giants have been found in caves beneath the hills of Norvos, and in the Bone Mountains, for example. There was a breed of stone giants called Jaguin who once lived in the Kajazasqua Mountains in northern Essos. I'm not sure I got that quite right. <laughs> and these stone giants were believed to have been twice the size of Westerosi giants. Finally, some believe that the now extinct maze makers of Lorath were born of a union between humans and female giants due to the large bones found on the island. And Hodor. Osha thinks Hodor has some giant's blood in him as well. So, Comparison with the television show, um, there is less mistrust of John when the wildlings discover the dead horses at the Fist of the First Men, which, by the way, are arranged in a pattern. They're arranged in like a spiral. Oh, yes, I recall this. Right, yeah. Mance says something kind of interesting. He says something along the lines of always the artists or something like that. There's some there's the line he says. Uh -huh. Um and Oral, who is the Eagles warg, 
or the other half of the eagle right. walk pairing is still alive and is played by Mackenzie Crook, who uh, you might know from the British office. He he played the Dwight Schrute character in, in the British Yes, office. right, right, right. Oral's still yeah. alive, and he actually takes some of Rattleshirt's role in the from the book in the TV show. Uh, he does not trust Jon Snow one little bit, even though he hasn't yet been killed by him. That may yet come. <laughs> uh, there's lots of posturing and territorial marking between the two of them. Uh, Ygritte definitely likes John. And uh, I don't know if this happens in the book in the future, but he breaks his vows, let me tell you. Oh, he breaks his vow. <laughs> so, Pedantry Corner, you've got something good. I've got the word snowflakes written down because... I'm going to call BS on Tormund, not for the fact that he confused a bear for a woman. Definitely happened. Yeah, yep, could. not the fact that he then fathered human bear. Documentary evidence. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to call BS on him for the mention of the large snowflakes. He says that it was a winter when the where he got uh, the... Uh, Husband of Bear, Husband of Bear's title, was a winter colder than the previous winter, which was so cold he had to cut open a giant and and uh, live out uh, several months inside the giant. He said it was an extremely cold winter and that there weren't just little snowflakes like you see right now, that there were snowflakes as large as a man's head. And I thought, I don't think that's how snowflakes work based on having grown up in North, in western Pennsylvania where we get a decent amount of snow. Just, if, uh, just interjection before you carry on. Western Pennsylvania is not north of the wall, but do continue. <laughs> it's not. But we do get some snow up that way. Uh, according to uh, weather.com, large flakes occur when the temps are near freezing, closer to freezing. The reason is the flakes melt slightly, allowing flakes to stick together to create larger flakes. Flakes as large as dinner plates have been recorded. Wow. So he could be uh he could be right about flakes, large flakes. But the te- the temperature gets the further below freezing the temperature gets, the smaller the flakes get because they're very dry, powdery, and don't stick together well. Not the first snow pedantry we've had, but bravo. It's excellent. It's very good. I I just thought, first I thought that would be crazy to see a snowflake as large as someone's head. And then I was like, but wait, don't snowflakes when it's colder, they're just, they're powdery. You can't make a good snowman or snowball. There you so go. I did a little digging. You know what we need? We need more words for snow. <laughs> we don't have enough words right yeah just one word yeah i wonder what the word for a snowflake the size of a dinner plate is that's that one needs a word it does i agree news and notes um as you might have noticed in fact i noticed today i was listening to an episode and i heard this out for the first time we now have ads in our episodes um and we thank our sponsors um if you prefer the ad free version consider becoming a buy me a coffee sustainer uh, those those people will never get to hear those ads they won't even know they exist because we send them an ad free version so there you go the choice is yours that's right and 
you know, these ads are being added through an algorithm. So if you come across one that is at a particularly weird spot for an ad, shoot us an email and I'll, I can go in and, um, move it. But you know, we're, we're on episode, uh, 159 i cannot go through every location that they want to put an ad in and verify it so i apologize if there's one in a particularly weird spot just let me know and i'll see if i can address that in other news this week that our lovely listeners are listening to this episode is our third year anniversary Ooh, look at october us. 7th 2022 we're like a toddler kind of like barely needs a diaper anymore <laughs> mostly toilet drain. Yes, we are. Yeah. <laughs> we're we're definitely growing up, huh? We've we've uh, we've been doing this. I can't honestly. I can't even believe we made it a year, yeah. let alone three years. I mean, it, I I have had people tell me I'm about the most tenacious person that they have ever met. I really don't like to give up on things. Oh, I wondered why we hadn't given up. It's you. It's you. <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I'm lazy. No, yeah. Congrats. That's awesome. We've done well. Yes, congrats to you. We're patting ourselves on the back here. Oh, by the way, actually, just on the on the patting yourselves on the back, I was on a work call um, yesterday, and it was like really celebratory about this thing that we'd done. And honestly, it was kind of like you know how we're on one side of the company, and then marketing is on another side of the company. It was a marketing call, and. I was working on the thing that they were celebrating and it totally wasn't working and it was a complete mess. <laughs> Meanwhile, yep. this call I'm listening to is just all oh, self-congratulation and backslapping. And eventually they muted me because they could hear my rage typing. You know, I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to make this work. <laughs> that sounds about exactly how it goes between sales and R&D. <laughs> Well, so for our three-year anniversary, uh, what what we're going to do is um, a YouTube Live. We've never done it before. Hopefully, it goes well. Uh, I will, we'll announce the date. I don't have... We haven't hammered out a date just yet, but it will be either this week or the following week. And um, yeah, basically, we don't necessarily have an agenda. You guys come on and we'll we'll talk. You guys send us... Stuff you want to talk about or whatever? I'll try and catch up on House of the Dragons so that I can, we can talk about that, but I'm still way behind. I, I've, I've tried to watch the third episode like four times and I just can't get through it. I'm so tired all the time. I'm like, oh, forget it. Yeah, uh, I'm now down to watching it solo. Stacy gave up last last week. It's a miracle she went that long, honestly. I, it was. It wasn't easy. I had to do a lot of... Are you, did you see what just happened? Do you understand what... Would you put your phone down for one second? Do you even know who these people are or what they're talking about? <laughs> I'm going to have to make a podcast for this show for you. I, I tried to convince Carson. I said, I said it's kind of soapy. It is kind of like, you know, sort of like, who'll get the throne? She's like, is it as complicated? I was like, ah, it's a narrower story. You might like it. Much narrower. Yes. Right. Anyway, so... Three-year anniversary, congratulations to us, and we're going uh, gonna to do a YouTube Live for the first time. Let's draw a conclusion here. So, um, 
it was an interesting look at wildling life. I highly recommend reading the chapter if you haven't. You know, maybe you get to read about mammoths and giants and uh, walrus bone chariots and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, we got some cool descriptions of, you know, varying unique clans and individuals and customs and things like that. So it, it definitely expanded yeah, yeah. the world a and bit. Bravo to Mans yeah. for bringing them all together because they have, they have nothing in common. These people clearly, I mean, they, he said, oh, yes, you know, right. they don't even have language in common. Many of them. So must've been a quite yeah, the yeah. effort yeah. to cobble all these yeah, yeah, people. Yes. A comparable, perhaps to comparable, perhaps to Egan the Conqueror, you know, you think oh, about it. Sure. I mean, it's yeah. it's not as big. It's not as big as the Seven Kingdoms, but it's as diverse, perhaps. And also, in man, so it doesn't have dragons, dragons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tormund seems a true ally to John, but hey, you know what would be really smart of man's is to get the friendliest guy in the Wildling army to befriend John and be really nice to him, just so you can keep a careful eye on him through his eyes. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. Maybe Tormund is a significantly better spy than John is. He is. No matter what's happening, he is. Because John is the world's worst. Could be worse. Spy. <laughs> <laughs> he he sleeps on a black blanket. <laughs> Refuses <laughs> to give it up. He He sleeps on his new <laughs> He sleeps on his uh new cloak. He puts the black one over top of him. <laughs> He won't even sleep with a grid. God. And uh, there is a large giant force. Not large giant. Not the, That's not the description of the size of the forest. There is a large force of giants riding with this host. And I just wonder, did uh, Thorn Smallwood notice them when he was reporting back to Mormont? Because you'd think they would need to factor that into the calculations of whether or not to ride on them. Yeah. Uh, so John's struggling. I mean, we're teasing him for not being very good at spying, but obviously it's difficult for him. He's honor-driven, and he's taken a vow, and he has to break all kinds of facets of the vow in order to fulfill it. Yes, yeah, and he's really uh, struggling with that, which is understandable. He was raised by Ned Stark, who put not breaking vows pretty high on his list, except for possibly one exception one very notable exception to John. <laughs> and John will have a... He's got a lot of work to do to repair the damage being caught in that lie. The the initial lie saying that it was just him and four friends having a picnic <laughs> lunch in the Frostfangs. Yeah, it was a bad lie to start with, really. I mean, we're the vanguard of the Night's Watch who are on the Fist of the First Men. Much better lie, because it was the truth. Just start with that. Just be a right. traitor. I get why he did it, you know? I mean, especially a, a young man spy being a spy for the first time. He he didn't want to blow Mormont's cover and, you know, protect his brothers. And certainly he never expected the Wildling host to actually reach the Fist of the First Men without being attacked by the Night's Watch. Right. But, but, but then all the more reason to just tell them that's where they are. You should sure. march on them in all force strung out as long and thin as possible. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, but it does not look good for the Night's Watch ranging. I mean, the dead horses everywhere, the pink snow. No. The no bodies, well, there's a very simple explanation for why there's no bodies. It's not because they all ran away without their horses. It's because they were all killed and now will fight for the other side. 
Yeah, and it was a, it was. I mean, I don't think this was the risk that Mormont was thinking would be a risk, but it was a risk when they decided to make camp at the Fist of the First Men, being that there was really only way one way in and out, and that's up the southern side of the yeah. the mountain hill, whatever you want to call it. So you know that that might very well played into the whites' ability to attack them so effectively because they could just keep coming up that hill and the Night's Watch don't have uh, a lot of other places they can go. And every time you lose one, they gain one. Twofold. And the Wildlings now are headed for the wall, seemingly unhindered by the ranging, which appears to have been decimated. And we're we're heading to a little warmer climate next week. We'll be uh, heading to King's Landing. We've got a Sansa chapter coming up. Well, there's three ways that you could help us. You could leave us a positive review. They're always the way that we bring in more listeners. You can buy some merchandise at ghostsofharrenhall.threadless.com or you can buy us an arbor gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostsharrenhall. You can become a sustainer at the Lord Paramount or Knight of the Realm level where you get an ad-free version of the show. And as always, of course, you can reach us at ghost.harrenhall at gmail.com. You can go out and follow us on Twitter at ghostharrenhall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and YouTube, and those would be especially important, our social medias, uh, I mean, right now, to find out what we're going to do and what we're going to do our uh, <laughs> three-year anniversary. <laughs> I will pay attention to them. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.